Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories. The Philippine Competition Commission is ready to investigate price-fixing cartels and anti-competitive behavior by inspecting company premises uninvited. Now, they want to take on these surprise visits without the required order. In this episode, PCC's Orlando People in R tells Business World reporter Janina Ibanez about the importance of surprising companies and defends the Commission's access to private documents. We're here with Orlando P. Polinar. He's the director of the Competition Enforcement Office or the investigative arm of the Philippine Competition Commission. Hello, sir. Ah, hello, Janina. So can you tell us about the Philippine Competition Commission and what you investigate? Yes, the Philippine Competition Commission is actually one of the younger agencies of government. So not to be mistaken for the Philippine Sports Commission, as many people do. It's quite funny. Some people do think are somehow related to the Sports Commission. But similar to Sports Commission, we are also interested in competition. But we are not interested in competition in sports, but in the marketplace. So this is competition among businesses. You know, Janina, if there are many competitors in the market selling similar products or services, this is good for our customers. Why? Because we have choices. So if you are just one of among the many sellers, how do you distinguish or how do you differentiate yourself from them? Two things you can do. Either you lower your price or you improve the quality of your product, right? Or in some cases, you do both. Lower the price and then even improve the product that you are selling. If there's no competition, that means players that are supposed to compete for customers agree to instead collude, to agree to fix price, for instance, that becomes a problem because then there's no more reason for them to either innovate, improve the product, or lower the price precisely because they have already agreed among themselves how much to sell the product for. So that's the mandate of the Philippine Competition Commission. Make sure that competition in the market remains alive and healthy. So that is mainly what Philippine Competition Commission does. So as the head of the investigative arm, how do you investigate? How do you find out if uh, a company is doing these kinds of cartels or these kinds of price fixing? Oh, there are three ways that we can initiate an investigation. As any regulator, one of the best ways for us to have information about certain violations is through people coming to us with a complaint. Under our rules, we require a verified complaint. If you want to complain about an entity or a business corporation that's violating the Philippine Competition Act. The other way that we receive a complaint is by way of a referral from another regulator in government. And third, the commission also has its own authority to conduct moto proprio an investigation. In other words, there need not be a complaint. We can on our own open an investigation. Let me just go back Janina, to the first because why some people ask sometimes, why is it so difficult then to file a complaint? Why do you ask the complaint to be verified, meaning under oath? There's a reason for that. We do not want our agency to be used inadvertently by people just trying to put their competitors in a bad light. We don't want to do that. So that is why we require that it be done under oath. But is it possible for us to investigate a matter even if the complaint is not under oath? The answer is yes. Even an anonymous complaint, 
we can act upon for as long as the complainant gives us some document that we can validate. If we are able to validate the information given to us even anonymously, then we can, as I said, use our motu proprio power to open an investigation. Can you tell us about the inspection order that was upheld last year by the Supreme Court? Okay, so uh, that's very interesting because uh, we have in our law what we call a dawn raid. Well, it's called a dawn raid not because it's dawn. It's like D-A-W-N, raid. We call it dawn raid not because it's done during dawn. The thing there is that there's an element of surprise. So what does it do? It allows the commission or the enforcement office to inspect business office. So that's the power given to us under the Philippine competition. Where does the Supreme Court come in here? Well, under the law, we are required to go to court before we conduct an inspection and obtain what is called an inspection order. So we cannot on our own just enter business offices using our own authority. It's a safeguard against abuse. So the law requires us, okay, if you want to inspect certain entities or the business offices of entities, go to court first, get what is called an inspection order. Now, why do we need the Supreme Court to issue certain rules? Because it's the first time in Philippine law that we have this, what others would probably call an administrative warrant. What the courts are familiar with and what most of us are familiar with are the search warrants. But that's different. To use a search warrant in criminal cases or criminal investigations. What we are doing here is an administrative investigation so that judges will be given guidance by the Supreme Court how to entertain, how to evaluate an application for an inspection order. That's why the Supreme Court came out with the rules that took effect November 16, 2019, telling judges how to evaluate an application by the Philippine Competition Commission for an inspection order. What are reasonable grounds for judges to say, okay, you can have an inspection in these particular companies? Okay, so there are quite a few steps, if you don't mind, Jenaina. First is, it is required that before we apply for an inspection order, we have already opened an investigation. So how that works is, when we decide that there is enough information for us to open an investigation, the procedure of the enforcement office in conducting investigation is a two-tiered process. First, we have what we call a preliminary inquiry. And if we think there is reason to pursue it in a full investigation, we proceed to what we call a full administrative investigation. So the inspection order, or we can apply for an inspection order even as early as the preliminary inquiry stage. Okay, so it's the first. So all we need to do is prepare an application. We go to court. Now, what should we try to convince the judge of for the judge to issue an inspection order? Aside from the fact that we have opened an investigation, he has to be convinced on the basis of reasonable ground that the information we need is found in the place which we intend to search. Number two, that that information that we want to inspect is reasonably relevant to our own investigation. And the third requirement is that we need the inspection order to prevent the entity from either concealing or destroying the evidence. 
So once you are able to convince the judge that there is reasonable ground to believe all those three, then the judge, as a matter of course, will issue an inspection order. So currently, because you said that it's important to have that element of surprise, right? Currently, there is some time between when you think of we're going to do this investigation and when you actually do the inspection. And recently, the PCC said that they're thinking of doing these inspection orders possibly without the court order. Why is it important to do that? Well, because several things there. By the way, just to be clear, the law as it stands now requires us to go to court. So when we say, is this something we would have wanted to do without a court order? Yes. But for that to happen, then we need to amend the law. Why would we want that? Number one is because there's an element of surprise. It's not that uh, we do not trust our courts, but because even if the hearing of an application for inspection order is done ex parte, in other words, it's not a public hearing, but still that there's that possibility of a leak information. Element of surprise is very important in a dawn raid. It's very important that no information goes out which entities we are planning to inspect. That's one. The other thing is that maybe because of the expertise of the commission, because it is what it does, it is easier for us to evaluate whether there's a need for it or not. Judges are not so conversant with competition law. Only because it's a new law. It's new in the country. So we'd probably not be able to appreciate as much as we can the kind of evidence that we have and the need for us to have an inspection or surprise inspection of certain offices. And by the way, that's not unusual. There are uh, antitrust bodies in other jurisdictions that enjoy that kind of authority. How would you respond to criticism that this goes against the right of companies to their privacy? Oh, uh, very interesting because if you look at the privacy law, it actually exempts from the coverage of the law the performance of the regulatory and investigatory power of an agency. Uh, interesting, I had just a meeting with uh, the chairman of the Privacy Commission and uh, he did confirm that when we exercise our regulatory and investigatory power, we are not generally prevented from doing that. It is an investigation. And because it is an investigation, it could be an administrative or criminal offense. And uh, it is inevitable that certain personal information will have to be obtained. Otherwise, how would we know who to sue? How would we know uh, who to complain against if they do not have the names and the data and the information, emails and what have you, if we do not have access to this kind of information? Yes, it's not a blanket exemption. And that we recognize. We are still required to handle the information that we obtain in a certain way that will comply with the law. But we are given that authority to access private information, but only for purposes of enforcement. And even then, there are certain guidelines that have to be followed on how we handle this kind of information. So under this recommendation, is there a way to regulate PCC as you go about these inspections? without a court order? Yes, because number one, it is important, and this probably is the most effective way to track on our authority. We, have, we are still building our reputation as an agency. We are practically regulating businesses across the board. And if we are not circumspect in using this power, and you know we probably do several down raids without showing any result for it, then that will destroy our credibility as an agency.
So it's not like we can just whimsically use this power. Number two, there's always the court. Any agency who abuses its authority can be held to court and can be held liable. And there are other ways. For example, you can be held administratively liable for abusing your authority. So there are so many checks there. But I think the more effective and I think the more potent way to make sure that we do not abuse them would still be our stakeholders giving us feedback how effective this has been, how effective you have been using this kind of an authority. So the regulation is something that might happen after a possible kind of abuse instead of something preventative. Oh, even now that we have to go to court, there is already a well-established vetting process within the organization even before we decide to go to court. I can imagine that kind of vetting within the organization so become even more robust if in fact it is the commission itself that will decide on its own to allow or not to allow an inspection remember there is a firewall within the commission and that's between the enforcement office that's my office and the commission firewall means we cannot freely discuss cases among ourselves meaning between the enforcement office and the commission there's a good reason for that the, the role of the enforcement office is to investigate and to prosecute the violations. The role of the commission is to decide those cases. Now, so each time we go to the commission, we file a stated objection. We have to convince the commission, acting as a court, that we have a case. And that will be similar, I imagine, to application for an inspection order that the commission itself can grant. So it's not like we just go there and the commission arbitrarily decides to allow it or not. The fact of the matter is, in the same manner that the commission decides our cases, so I can imagine that the same way that we have to convince the commission that we have a case when we file what we call a statement of objection, that the process, would, the same process would be observed when they go to the commission and convince the commission to issue an inspection order. So it's not much different. Only this time, we didn't have to go out of the commission to get it. But the process, I think, the kind of preparation that the enforcement office is required to perform would practically be the same. So I think if you're thinking of a check before an abuse of this authority is actually committed, I think there's enough safeguards even within the organization. So right now, you're able to get these court orders from particular courts here in Metro Manila. Um, and this took effect on November 16th, yes. I believe. Yes. So how's yeah. it going so far? Well, we have just a training for judges last month. We haven't really tried, we haven't really attempted yet to apply for an inspection order. Again, this is something that we did not take lightly. Not because we have first to convince ourselves that this is something we really need. And the reason why we have to be very sure that this is something we want to do is because it requires a lot of resources and it requires a lot of planning. It's not even more mature antitrust bodies in other jurisdictions probably take months just to prepare for a darn raid. It's not an easy thing to do. But we are happy that we have the support of the Supreme Court and now also of the judges. And talking about the courts, so we are grateful to the Supreme Court 
that we think it has fully appreciated the importance of a surprise for this kind of uh, an inspection. By the way, it's called Rule on Administrative Search and Inspection, RASI. The, the court designated special commercial courts in Makati, Quezon City, Manila, Pasig, Cebu, Iloilo, Davao, and Guyan de Oro to issue an inspection order that can be implemented nationwide. How about your inspection officers? Are they being trained right now? And how is that going so far? What yes. goes into their training? Yes, we have gone through a series of trainings and more trainings are being planned for them. And as a matter of fact, today, our officers just completed a three-day training seminar. So yes, so not only have we started training our investigators and agents starting last year, but we are also we also have laid out a plan for more trainings this year and also we come up with our own operations manual on how to perform this kind of an inspection. Can, could you take me through this inspection? Say we are going to do an inspection right now. What's about to happen? Okay, so there are three stages generally. So you have the pre-search, pre-inspection preparation. You have underground implementation of the order and then post-inspection. So as I said, so <clears throat> there's a preparation way before we apply for inspection order. But once the inspection order is granted by the court and then we have to move fast, there are so many things to prepare for. We have to identify people who will join the inspection and find the role of each and every member of the group. So you would have, ordinarily, then you would have the search leader. You'd set up like a command post. And then you also have a person in charge of investigators themselves doing the actual search. Then you have somebody designated as evidence officer. So that when somebody finds document or evidence, we are sure that we are able to establish what is called in law chain of custody. Make sure that the integrity of that document or of that electronic evidence is preserved from the start until we use this in our case. We also need IT people because searches of this kind very likely involve copying databases, looking at emails and all those. So we have to organize these people. That's the first part of the preparation. And then, of course, what things to bring. When you enter the premises of an office, you don't expect them to lend you their Xerox machines or to give you food. So these are things that you think about because this kind of a search normally lasts more than a day. It can last for days depending on the kind of information and how large the entity is that you are searching. So that's the pre-inspection planning. Then when you are there, the first challenge for you is how to enter the premises. I mean, most of the office have guards. How do you get past to the guard? How do you get to the CEO, for instance? So again, there are people assigned to that kind of a thing. You know, one thing that you have to note is that when you conduct an actual inspection, it is important that people in the office move away from their workstations. This is to prevent them from taking out certain documents that you might be interested in, putting in the trash bins certain documents that you might be interested in, or even deleting files. So because of the element of surprise, 
the moment you enter the premises it is very important for us to establish that by the way the rule requires that we have an officer of the court to serve it like a sheriff of the court so once that is served it is then very important for us to say now that you have been served with the inspection order now we are basically taking over the office we are now in charge of the entire office until we are done and that is important so we can ask people okay step away from your workstations we can bring them to one area of the office you stay there until you are done we are required to talk to their lawyer or compliance officer it is important for this kind of an inspection that we are transparent their compliance officer or legal counsel can observe how we are conducting the inspection but it's important that the moment we take charge of the place nobody's still on their laptops and desktops precisely because the reason for the surprise inspection is to prevent people from either concealing destroying deleting the information that that are relevant to our investigation when we, we are done and by the way we are not under the rules allowed to seize anything it's not a search warrant in a search warrant you enter a place then you find an evidence a gun a drug then you seize it we are not allowed to do that we are allowed to just copy and reproduce that's why it can take a long time because if it is a database you're going to reproduce that will take a long time to complete after we have done our search and we have copied certain information or documents then we will ask the compliance officer or legal counsel present okay these are the things that we have copied and we'll ask them to certify that these are faithful reproduction of the original documents and then we make sure that we have put everything back in the right places before we leave and usually we tell them that we do not want to be here longer than we need to be here this is going to be disruptive there's no doubt about it but we don't have yeah, we don't want to make it difficult for anybody but there will be challenges there there will probably be people unwilling to show us their laptops or unwilling to open their cabinets but there are fixes for that there are ways we can do to to address those concerns anyway after we have done everything remember we are just there to get information and data then we need to go back to our offices and to the office and process the data is there anything here that will support investigation or that will be useful to us? That basically then would be the flow of the entire implementation of an inspection order. Can you <clears> use this process to investigate a possible cartel in the rice industry? Well, it is useful in all kinds of investigations, not just cartels, in any type of violation of the Philippine Competition Act. What do I mean? It can be used even for the mergers and acquisitions investigation. For example, non-notification. As you know, under our law, the Philippine Competition Act, the value of mergers and acquisitions breached at a certain threshold, we are required to notify to us. And there are maybe instances that even if it is required, entities for some reason refuse to notify us. That could be a violation. This can be useful. Uh, for the enforcement office, we investigate generally two types of violations we have cartels and we have abuse of dominance let me just explain a little bit for also better understanding of your listeners when you say cartel you do not usually think of well we usually think of drug cartels something that a group of people coming together to do something um, meeting and basically uh, thinking of shady people 
doing criminal things. The cartel under the law is quite different under the Philippine Competition Act. A cartel can be committed even by legitimate businesses. It does not matter because the definition of a cartel really is that you are competitors, but instead of competing, you are colluding. You agreeing to do something. What are those things that you agree on? One is, and the most familiar type of cartel would be price fixing. So you said, if you are competitors, you are supposed to compete as to price. In a price fixing cartel, competitors just agree to a certain price. That's one form. The other form is bid rigging. Bid rigging basically is that instead of trying to outbid your competitors in the bidding process, you just agree who wins first, who wins next, and who gets this project. Either because you will ask another bidder to just withdraw its bid and pay him off or just promise that competing bidder that he will get the next product. There's another kind of a cartel. You did not agree on a price, but you can agree how much product to put out in the market. What does that mean? You can control your production. So instead, even if you are capable of producing 1,000 units of sulfur, for instance, and your competitor can also produce 1,000 units of cell phone in a day, you can agree, we'll just produce 500 each a day. What does that result into? It results in higher prices. Less supply, higher prices. Or another form of agreement among competitors, which we call a cartel, is market allocation. So instead of competing in Makati, competing in Quezon City, just agree, okay, why won't we just give each other a certain place where we can make our own, can uh, sell our own product. Company A probably just sell in Quezon City for as long as company B agrees not to enter Quezon City but just sell its product in Makati for as long as the other company will not sell in Makati. We call that market allocation. Maybe we can talk about this with one example of a particular industry. Like for example, if we're talking about rice, like there's a current I don't know if it's an investigation or a technical working group looking at possible price fixing in the rice industry. Well, we don't even have to just look at rice. I mean, any form yeah. of price fixing. But just so we can show as an example to listeners. So how would this change how you were previously investigating or looking at that industry versus how you would look at it now? Oh, I see. Going back to the Dawn Raid that is in our law and which the court has already provided rules for. Look at Dawn Raid as a tool. It's similar to the other tools that are available to the enforcement office. What are those other tools? We can, of course, issue subpoenas. We can compel people to come to us to answer questions. We can compel entities to provide us documents. But what's the difference? The main difference is that if you require an entity to submit a document which that entity believes should be incriminating, that entity will not give it to you voluntarily. Now, with the Dawn Raid, I don't even have to request for it. I don't even have to issue a subpoena for it. I'll just inspect your office and get it, whether you like it or not, and copy it. That's why this kind of authority to conduct Dawn Raid is very important, not just in the Philippines, but in all jurisdictions that does this kind of thing. Because in most cases, businesses that are in a cartel situation are aware that they are violating the law. So they would like put it on a piece of paper like an agreement. Probably you'd find it in emails. Probably you'd find it in the phones, for instance. The agreement to meet on a certain day, the agreement to a certain price. But even if you subpoena emails from, say, if you have information, there's no evidence, but somebody told us there's an email 
and or they've been emailing each other for the past six months from july to december 2019 if you get those emails there you'll see they've actually discussed price fixing you know we can issue a subpoena for these emails but don't you think these people will just not volunteer to give all the emails that we would have wanted to see knowing that there's something or it can be an evidence of an illegal conduct could you give me an example of you're doing an investigation and you're not able to get the information you needed. The example probably I can give you, Janina, is there are situations that even we issue a subpoena, you don't even bother to reply to it. That is why there are a number of entities that we are investigating which we have requested the commission to cite for contempt. So it's not unusual. It's not unusual for people to, or if they want to, if they respond to our subpoena, for instance, it's always incomplete. They give you like, and they probably ask for several extensions. At the end of the day, still not give you all the information that you need from them. So it's not unusual that entities would not be fully cooperate to your investigation. How much has this slowed down your investigation? Or has there been instances where it completely halted your investigations because you're not able to get the information? can't talk of a specific experience that we have, but this I can tell you that the kind of cooperation that we are getting from some of the entities is less than ideal. I mean, there are situations where they have asked for extensions, and then at the end of several extensions, then we are not getting the information that we want anyway. We try to be as accommodating as we can. Remember, we are investigating not because at that point we know already that we have violated the law. Because that's the purpose of the investigation, to find out whether there's a violation of the law and whether there's no violation. In fact, we look at our rules. It is very possible that we will end our investigation and say we, don't, we can't see a violation here. And, and we close it. So the reason that we are investigating something is precisely to find out whether there's a violation. But sometimes people feel uneasy about it. You know, we are being investigated and the tendency, I think, is a matter of self-preservation, say, I won't cooperate. So it is not unexpected that the entities that are the subject of your investigation will not fully cooperate with your investigation. And yes, when that happens, definitely it will slow down your your investigation. So because this is intended as a, as a surprise, obviously we won't know when you're initial inspections are going to be but do you have a certain timeline of when you might start going through these kinds of investigations it's difficult to put a timeline we do not again this is a tool we are not this is a tool for our investigation we are not like structuring the way we do investigation around this authority this is one of the many things that we can do but this i can tell you i mean as soon as an opportunity presents itself Definitely. We know this is a very potent to have. And as long as there is an opportunity to use it, we will not hesitate to use it. So you're ready now if something happens now? Ah, yes. But how about ongoing investigations? Will you be able to apply this? We'll see. Again, as I said, this kind of an operation requires a lot of resources. We just have to see whether this is something that we would like to use or to avail of, given the kind of the investigations that we are now conducting. So with this kind of mechanism, 
what are your goals? Um, are there particular sectors that you want to look into, or is it is there something like a general target that you want to achieve with this? Yes, maybe too early for us to say which sectors this kind of authority would be most effective. But this I can tell you. We have another program in the PCC. We call it the Leniency Program. What is a Leniency Program? This is very similar to a whistleblower program. Only in this case, the difference between a whistleblower program and a Leniency Program is that to be a whistleblower, you do not have to be a participant in the criminal conduct. In the Leniency Program, you have to be a participant. For instance, you're a member of the cartel. So what does it do? You come to us. If you know you are part of a cartel doing something illegal, you can come to us, you can say, I will can tell you what I know about this cartel, and in exchange for your cooperation, we will give you immunity. We will not go after you. I think the Don Raid Authority is a very good complement to this program. You know why? Maybe those who are parts of cartel do not have an incentive to come to us because probably are telling themselves, and it is something we can hide from the PCC because for as long as nobody from the group speaks up, we are safe. That is no longer very true now because they know we can actually conduct a surprise inspection. That might just give them a little more push to come to us and cooperate in our investigation and apply for leniency. So I think this is one area, aside from the fact that uh, in itself, the authority to conduct a dawn raid is already very important and very useful. But this one area where I think can complement well with our leniency program. To for the inspections without a court order, is that something that you're hoping that will happen this year? Or are you making moves to start requesting for that? I'm not really privy to that because I'm not, in charge of liaising with Congress. But as I said, that kind of power requires amendment of the law. And I understand, yes. I remember months back, I've come across documents where we are requested which parts of the law we, we think needs improvement. And we have given our input. So I can imagine one of those areas that is being looked into would be precisely that, how we can further strengthen the authority of the commission to effectively implement or effectively conduct, not just don't raise, but effectively conduct its own investigation. Okay, Mr. Polinar, thank you. Anything else you'd like to add, sir? So we have the legacy programs. For those who may have information about certain uh, cartelistic conduct, anti-competitive conduct, come to us and just visit our website, phcc.gov.ph. All information that you need be able to contact us even the special line for our leniency program will be there all right thank you sir okay okay so i hope that helps that concludes another episode of b-side once again you heard orlando people in our of the philippine competition commission and business world reporter janina ibanez talking about the element of surprise in the investigation of price fixing cartels and anti-competitive behavior this episode was recorded on February 21 at the PCC office in Quezon City. This is Sam El Marcelo. Thanks for listening.